Pastor Doug here from Crossroads. It's great to be with you. I hope that today's message will draw you closer to Jesus. I mean, this is just awkward. I've just been so tired lately, worn out. Just got to wake up. All right, we we all just got to wake up, right? We understand. We're here at church. We're awake. We're, I'm supposed to be preaching. Yeah, we're, teaching screen, help me out. Yeah, we're in the series. It's been great. Seven churches of Revelation. Uh, This we're on the slumbering church, only it should be Sardis. That means I didn't do my PowerPoint correct. That's how tired I am, Dad, right? Dad, Dad. Oh, oh. oh, my goodness. Cindy, Cindy said you need a coffee. Oh, so, so much. Thank you, Pastor Don. Thank you. I do. Oh. Okay, now we're ready. Now we're ready. Okay, the sl- slumbering church. That doesn't sound positive does it? I mean, we don't want that as our tagline, do we? Crossroads, the sleepy church, right? It just doesn't sound good. But maybe it's better news than what uh, I'm even imagining. So let's go ahead and let's see what Jesus has to say uh, to the church in Sardis. And we're in chapter three by this point in time in Revelation. And this is how he starts his letter. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Sardis. Uh, this is the message from the one who has the sevenfold spirit of God and the seven stars. And, and some things we know from Revelation, uh, sevenfold spirit of God, you know, we're talking about the Holy Spirit, uh, seven stars, they're the seven messengers or the seven leaders of the churches where these letters are being written to. But what about Sardis? Sardis is a little bit different. If you're looking for a way, like a summary statement to describe Sardis, it would be like this. It is a city who has seen its better days. It is a city whose glory days are in their past. Things aren't looking so good in the present or in their future. And there are cities in our country that could relate. I heard a stat this week. I don't know if you heard this or not. It surprised me. Maybe it won't surprise you. We have just reached the place post-pandemic, that city office space is back up to 50%. In other words, that means half of office space is still empty in the cities in our country. And while some cities like uh, New York City are rebounding like crazy, uh, at the other extreme spectrum are cities like San Francisco that are just struggling to get people to come back to work in their city. And we have cities that are wondering, are our best days behind us? Is there a hope for our future? And for Sardis, it, it was clear. The best days were in the rear view mirror. The glory days were behind them. Sardis at one time had been a powerhouse. 
one of the most powerful cities in the entire ancient world. And then right around AD 17, this devastating earthquake came, uh, just demolished the city. And while they had tried to recover, they had never got fully back. It it was so bad that Sardis approached Rome uh, and said, we would like the privilege of building a temple to Caesar. And Rome came back and said, "Um, no, um, no, thank you very much. And they chose another city, one of the cities that we've already talked about because Sardis was no longer seen as having a promising future. It was all in the rear view mirror for them. And then Jesus continues in his letter to the church in Sardis, and he says this, I know all the things you do and that you have a reputation for being alive. And at first glance, you think, you know, that sounds pretty good, a reputation for being alive. And then you realize that Jesus says reputation. He doesn't say reality. It's not like the words the other churches where, you know, you experience and you give out love or grace. And this is a reputation for being alive. And have you ever experienced that, uh, that a church can have a reputation, uh, but then their reality can be quite different? I often say like this, there's perception and then there's reality. Uh, when I was newer to Crossroads over 10 years ago, one of the first things I wanted to do was try to contact people in our surrounding community that did not attend the church. And, and as I got to know some of those people, I said, hey, could you just tell me, I, I know you don't attend Crossroads, just tell me if you had to say, describe Crossroads for me. Uh, just tell me what you think when you think about Crossroads. And they painted this picture of like, you know, like everybody wears a suit, uh, they're singing out of hymnals, and, and there's an organ playing. And, and the picture that they painted Not a bad picture, but not at all our reality. There was this huge gap between our reputation and our reality, this gap between the perception of our surrounding community and the reality of who we were. And I'm like, we need to close that gap. We need to figure out some ways to close that gap. And that's what's going on here. Jesus is saying, you might have this reputation. This might be the way that you know you think of yourself or that people think of you, but it's just your reputation. It's not your reality because the two worlds apart. And he continues on. You have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. But you are dead. But you are dead. Come on, that has to sting, right? If you're sitting there, you're gathered, you're the church of Sardis, you know this letter's come, it's going to be read. And you just want to hear what Jesus has to say about you as a church. And you get to those words, you are dead. Not at all what you were hoping for. And knowing this church, walking among them, knowing their reality, Jesus has no good words to say to them. Well, the congregation probably thought they were very much alive and of a living church. And Jesus says, no, that's not the case. You're, you're dead. Like the city itself, the church in Sardis, their best days were behind them. Their glory days were behind them. Their future was incredibly dim or uncertain. See, the church in Sardis had compromised. They weren't experiencing any pushback. They weren't experiencing any uh, persecution from the surrounding culture. They just blended in so incredibly well that they had grown incredibly comfortable, incredibly apathetic, and lethargic. 
They didn't stand out anymore. They, they weren't a light in the world around them. They weren't a light in the darkness. And when you contrast this letter to the letters to the other church, you know, Jesus always starts out with the good stuff, right? All the, uh, the words of affirmation, uh, commendation. And this is all condemnation. It's all the bad stuff. There's no good stuff to be shared. No real compliments for the church in Sardis. Maybe you're wondering, maybe you're asking that question, well, what does that look like today? You know, it's like, how would I even know if our church was falling asleep or if our church was dying? How would I even begin to understand if there was this, like, uh, perception or reputation for our church, but then the reality was quite different? What would that even begin to look like? I, I think that's a great question. I put together some things for us, some signs uh, that your church is falling asleep. Here, here's some things that are going to start to happen. These are the red lights, the warning lights that you can actually begin to see in your church. Passion of key leaders is waning, right? It's like monotone all the time. It's like we're just getting a paycheck. Uh, I'm just serving one leadership team because that's what I have to do. There's no passion. There's no enthusiasm. There's no excitement about the future. Well, another warning light, innovation is rare. Yeah, I remember we tried that new thing. That was like, what, maybe 10, 12 years ago? Uh, there's no like innovating, there's no trying, there's no experimenting, there's no doing anything different. Innovation, you know, rarely happens at all. Third warning light, members are intensely preference driven. What I want, what I like, when I want it, the way I want it, it's all about me. It's like self-focus for everybody attending the church. And that means, right, when everybody is preference driven, the moment that you try to change anything, even the littlest things, people are like, oh, no, we can't do that. No way. I don't like that. Change is just like fiercely resistant. Another warning light. There's more talk of the past than of the future. You talk to somebody, you say, hey, tell me about your church. Tell me about Crossroads. And they begin to tell stories, not of the past six months, but of 10, 20, 30, 40 years ago. All of their talk is of the past. Best days are behind us. Not hardly any talk about the present or about the future going forward. Another warning, like generationally limited. What does that mean? It's the same. If you're a church where everybody's in their 20s and 30s or everybody's in their 60s and 70s, you both have problems, right? You're generationally limited. Uh, you're doing things to reach a very specific segment of the population. So you're limited. Your future is tough because you are not having the body of Christ as a whole together. Last warning light. More effort goes into keeping people than reaching people. Percentage of the budget, percentage of the ministries, of activity, of volunteer time, just the focus of everything is internal. Like we're all like navel gazers, right? It's all like about ourselves. Like, you know, pick out that lint. Let's focus on that. It's not about the outside world and the mission that Jesus has given us to reach the world around us, to share the good news to a hurting and broken world. And whenever any of those like warning lights just start to blink for a church, it's a clear sign that some course correction needs to happen. The change needs to happen. 
to veer off the path of death and to jump back in to life. But lists only do so much. What does it really look like? You know, how would you paint a picture? What would be like a narrative of a church that might be dying or a church that is alive? I want to read for you um, a section of Craig Rochelle's newest book, Lead Like It Matters. In his first chapter, uh, he talks about his first experience with church. And even if you've not read this book before, he shared this story many different ways. But I want to share this true story with you. You can make the decision as a church that's alive or a church that's dead. Uh, But let me hear what he has to say. I was a beer-drinking, girl-chasing, hell-raising frat boy. And then I was a Jesus freak. I became a Christ follower midway through college. I was walking on campus when somebody handed me a free Gideon Bible. I had gone to church but had little or no faith and had never dug into the Bible, so I decided to read it. And it was like nothing I had read before. I met Jesus through that little green free Bible and decided I wanted to spend the rest of my life following him. Now, even as a brand new believer, I knew I had to find a church. Well, how do you find a church? I had no idea. I assumed churches were pretty much all the same, so I wasn't too worried about it. Being saved was important, but so was saving gas money. So I went looking for the church closest to my college campus. Pretty quickly, I found it. A gorgeous, beautiful, genuinely historical church. It had everything. Stained glass windows, a mile high of steeple, and best of all, a huge bell. I had no idea why a church needed a bell, but still I was impressed. Even to this day, I have a bit of bell envy. I did my best to make a good first impression at my potential church home. I didn't own a suit, so I wore my nicest khakis, my braided leather belt, skinny penny penny loafers, and a wrinkly white shirt, no tie. With my hair perfectly parted down the middle and feather on the sides, he says, give me a break, it was the 80s after all. I looked like I had just walked off the set of Miami Vice, except, of course, I was wearing socks, and I didn't live on a houseboat or have an alligator named Elvis. I remember climbing up the front stairs of one of the most gorgeous historical churches in our city. The climb seemed endless, heading for the massive, perfectly carved wooden doors. The bouncer at the door. Now, I know we don't call them Bouncers, but this dude looked just like that. The bouncer at the door glared at me with disapproval. Maybe it was because I had skipped the tie, had an iron my clothes, and wasn't carrying a Bible. In any case, I didn't feel welcome. I was already nervous, and his not so friendly greeting heightened my uneasiness. My next greeting was inside, where bouncer number two seemed to look at me up and down suspiciously. I was paranoid and assumed that he was gauging whether or not I was bulletin worthy. I must have been, but just barely. Clutching my treasure of a bulletin, I walked reverently into the beautifully, mostly empty sanctuary. Uh, Since I didn't want to be tardy my first time, I had arrived several minutes before the service was scheduled to start. I assumed it was empty because the crowd would show up precisely on time. A few people mingled, but no one said hello to me or to anyone else they didn't know. A couple of congregations were already seated, scattered about here and there, so I took my cue from them and I found a seat. 
A minute later, a sour-faced, white-haired woman told me that I was in her seat. I wondered whether a section of wooden benches could be called a seat, but anyways, I decided to find a new one. I sheepishly got up and found a new place to sit. It wasn't hard. The place was nearly empty. The crowd never showed. Finally, a man in a religious robe sauntered regally to the podium with his arms outstretched, offered us in a very pastoral voice, greetings in the name of the Lord. Everyone mumbled something I couldn't understand and stood up almost as one. And the organ sputtered to life. We sang three hymns like they were lifeless robots. For each hymn, we sang verses one, two, and four. What did they have against verse three? Had someone abducted all the verse threes? I don't know. After the songs, another guy in a robe came up less regally and droned some announcements. I think a women's quoting circle was mentioned, but I couldn't be sure because I was so lost in his monotone voice. Finally, we came to the feature presentation. The guy with the nicest, fanciest robe, I assumed was the senior pastor, got up to deliver a sermon that would feed our hungry souls. He talked and he talked and he talked, and unfortunately, I stayed hungry. When he finally finished, everyone got up and left unceremoniously. I dutifully followed the flow of traffic out the door and got in my car. On my drive home, I was bewildered, struggling to understand why God, this God who has so radically transformed my life with his irresistible grace and unfathomable power, who breathed into me new life and new passion, would demand that I waste my Sunday mornings like this. Spiritually alive. Spiritually dead. Church is going through all the motions, performing all the the duties, but little or no love. Little or no life change. Rich in traditions and beliefs, but poor in actions and living out faith. Repentance in short supply. And Jesus calls the church in Sardis out, and then he immediately goes to instruction. And he has this to say. Wake up! Wake up! Strengthen what little remains, for even what is left is almost dead. Don't miss this. I, mean, I think this is beautiful. This is Jesus. This is so beautiful. He, he doesn't say, give up already. Nail the doors shut. Just, just walk away. Throw in the towel. And the says, wake up. That little bit of good, that little bit of life that's left, strengthen it. Build on that. I know there are some incredibly sad stories of churches that close their doors for the very last time. But man, there are lots of stories of hope where there's a remnant of people who just won't give up that are so in love with Jesus and his bride at church, they keep praying, they persevere. I mean, they change things radically uh, to try and reach out into their world. And that little bit of faith and life gets sparked and builds into a fire and just the church reignites and comes back to life. And that is what Jesus is saying. For all the bad, there is still potential for a resurrection in the church of Sardis. But a radical change needs to happen. 
Wake up. Stop sleeping. Come on. Don't be dead anymore. It's time to live. Take the good and build on it. And Jesus continues, and unfortunately, it gets even worse. He says, I find that your actions do not meet the requirements of my God. No one wants to hear that. I don't want to hear Jesus say that to me. You don't want Jesus to ever say that to you. But don't miss this. Do you catch this? Your actions. Your actions. Your actions do not meet the requirements of my God. It's not your beliefs. It's not your knowledge. It's your actions. You might study scripture for hours every week, but then you fail to live it out. It's your actions. It's the tragedy of those who know so much, but live out so little of their faith. Because it's all your actions fail to meet the requirements of my God. There's a phrase that you're probably familiar with, when the rubber meets the road, right? When theory becomes reality. When knowledge becomes action. When we take what we know, what we believe, and we begin to live it out. Jesus said to forgive one another. Literally, I'm going to start to figure out how I can forgive those who have hurt me. Jesus says to love one another. I'm going to put that into action. Care for one another. Encourage one another. Serve one another. I'm not just going to hear it. I'm not just going to know it. I'm not just going to study it. I'm going to live it out. I'm going to live out my faith. It's going to be my actions. When my heart begins to break for the things that break the heart of God, I live out my faith. It's my actions. It's no longer my thoughts or my beliefs or my knowledge. So how do you know? How do you know personally if you're falling asleep? How do you know if you're like spiritually dead? What are some of those warning lights for you? Here's one of them. You begin to treat your faith like something you have to do instead of something you have the privilege of doing. So I have to go to church. Oh, I have to serve. Oh, I have to read my Bible or spend time in prayer with God. It's you have to do as opposed to the privilege of doing it. Another warning light, you get comfortable with the status quo. It's just all okay. It's all good. You're just comfortable with where you're at. God doesn't need to stretch me or grow me. Just comfortable. You find yourself being passionless. Or I think a better way to say this is you might be passionate, right? But it's passionate about the wrong stuff. The stuff that God would love for you to be passionate about, there's no passion there. Your passion is all in different directions. It doesn't line up with some of the things that God would love you to be concerned or passionate about. Fourth warning light, limited learning and little repentance. In other words, it's part of being comfortable, right? You know what? Uh, They say that growing as a disciple is a lifelong journey. I'm all good. I don't need to really learn anymore. 
Holy Spirit's not going to convict me or ask me to change anything in my life. I don't really need to grow. Here's my favorite one. One another's are for those other followers of Jesus, right? All those one another's that we find throughout the New Testament, all those one another's that Jesus talks about, other people need to serve. Other people need to forgive. Other people need to love. Other people need to give as opposed to just consuming. It's not me. It's all for other people. And then here's the one. Here, here's the warning light that most often goes off for me. Short on compassion. You just begin to feel numb. The things that break the heart of God no longer break your heart. It was just the other week, and I was beginning to feel incredibly numb and starting to realize that in just a few short period, a short period of time, there were, what, two mass shootings in three days in California, 18 dead. Like, it's just another Tuesday in America, right? And then the death of Tyree Nichols after being pulled over for a traffic accident, yeah, just seems the way the things go. Then a little bit later on, a six-year-old who shot his teacher in Virginia. Thought I wouldn't be surprised by anything new and colored me surprised. But in the midst of all of that kind of stuff that's going on, just felt numb, wasn't praying, didn't care, didn't let much space in my brain. And that was a warning light for me. In other words, what the Holy Spirit was doing in me, what bothered me was that I wasn't being bothered by these kind of things. My heart wasn't breaking for the things that break the heart of God, and I wasn't praying, and I wasn't caring, and I was just numb. And if you ever get to that place where these warning lights are going on, and you feel like maybe you're spiritually asleep or dying, what do you do? The same advice, the same direction that Jesus gives the church of Sardis works for us. Jesus continues his letter. He says this. This is an instruction. Go back. Go back to what you heard and believed at first. Hold to it firmly. Repent and turn to me again. He tells the church, go back to the basics. To the apostles' teaching that you first heard, go back to that. For us, he'd say, you know, go back to what first drew you to Jesus, what first drew you to the bride, what you were first experiencing, whatever you came into relationship with Jesus. Go back to the beginning and start to do it again. Repent. God, I've just been so spiritually dead. I, I have been asleep. I get it. I'm aware of that. And I know that's not where you want me to be. Would you forgive me? I'm making a change. I'm turning directions. I'm going in a new way. I want to be spiritually alive. Because only a change of direction, only a change in action would save the church in Sardis from the consequences. Jesus goes on the, and he says, this is the consequence. If you don't, if you don't wake up, I will come to you suddenly as unexpected as a thief. Now, everybody in Sardis in the city, they would know what this is about because in their entire history, fortified city on a hill, they had never been conquered by conventional warfare. But twice in their history, when watchmen, when guards had fallen asleep on the job 
and not Saul opposing soldiers starting to scale the walls. Twice in their history, because somebody was asleep, destruction was brought on their city. And then Jesus continues in his letter to the church in Sardis with some good news. Yet there are some in the church, there are some in the church in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes with evil. And Jesus points towards hope. There's some life left in you yet. Not everyone in the church is sleeping or dead. And then Jesus gives this promise. How he ends all these letters, a promise for those who hear. A promise. They will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. All who are victorious will be clothed in white, I will never erase their names from the book of life, but I will announce before my father and his angels that they are mine. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. This imagery of a white robe is used again and again throughout Revelation. White robe for those who have experienced injustice white robe to cover up shame and guilt. Jesus says, all of you who wake up, who live out your faith, who continue to follow me and listen to my voice. He says, man, that, that day, man, when you stand before God, I will be declaring that you are mine. Nothing will separate you. You are like guaranteed life in its fullest in the here and now and for all of eternity with me because you are mine. You are my child. We are one. So what does this look like? This is a, this is a letter of all bad news. But do you see some hope? Do you see the importance of knowing what's going on in our personal lives or in our church's life if we begin to spiritually fall asleep or if we're found to be spiritually dead? Jesus says, wake up. Wake up. Make a change. It's not too late. There is hope for better days to come. Next step, an action point for you. Spend some time this week. Spend some time this week with the Holy Spirit asking this question. Is there some area in my life or in our church's life where I or where we are sleeping? Is there something that I need to wake up to? An area where Jesus might say, I find that your actions do not meet the requirements of other God. Just as you walk with Jesus this week, just as you're praying, just time with the Holy Spirit, if something like that is brought to the forefront of your mind, just wake up. Make a change. Repent. Find new life in Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we can find life and truth even in a hard letter to a church that's dying and sleeping and lifeless. When actions don't meet the requirements of our God. Holy Spirit, would you just wake us up would you just get our attention? Would we be able to see those warning lights going on and just know that a course correction needs to happen in our personal lives or in the life of our church? Father, we're, we're praying uh, for where the churches in this letter took place, right? Church in Sardis was devastated by an earthquake in 
around AD 17, and now Turkey and Syria just devastated. 28 plus thousand dead. So many injured, so many homeless. For those that are feeling like you know the best days are all behind them, the future that it's hard to cling or find hope. Jesus, may you bring good out of the bad. May you bring light into the darkness. May you be comforting and healing a hurting and broken people. May you bring life. You're the bearer of life. You love to give it. So, Father, we cling to our hope and our confidence in you. We trust fully that you declare that we are yours. That because of the relationship that we have with you, Jesus, we have life in its fullest here on this side of eternity and for all of eternity. All because of what you've done through your son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening. Any step you take towards Jesus is a step in the right direction. You can find out more about us at crbic.org. That's crbic.org. Thank you.